Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Rent and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. It's difficult to make forecasts, especially about the future. This quote attributed to both Mark Twain and Yogi Berra, both are worthy of attribution there. But regardless of the origins of this quote, the meaning is clear. Predicting the future is not an easy game. But making data-based predictions based upon trends and careful observation certainly up your success rate of accurate prediction. Jim Carroll is one of the leading global futurists, trends, and innovation experts with a massive global blue-chip client list such as NASA, Walt Disney Corporation, PGA of America, Siemens, and Lockheed Martin, just to name a few. Now, over the last 25 years, more than 2 million people have shared Jim's insights with his events on stage. Jim's global client list gives him a front-row seat to the high-velocity change occurring as disruption comes to take hold of every industry and every organization, including economic development. With this insight and the customized research he undertakes for every engagement, Jim helps transform growth-oriented organizations into high-velocity innovation heroes. Welcome to Mississippi Prospects, Jim Carroll. Thank you. Looking at Mississippi, we are a major manufacturing state and uh, highly focused on economic development. A lot of our recruitment efforts are focused in the manufacturing-based sectors. Approximately 12% of our workforce is engaged in manufacturing. So what types of trends, Jim, are you seeing uh, in the manufacturing sector today? You know, we got to start right with the uh, with the big picture. You know, I often use a quote on stage when I'm with manufacturing groups, and it's it's you know it's this: uh, we're in a situation in which companies that do not yet exist uh, will build products not yet conceived using materials not yet invented, uh, with methodologies we can barely even dream of, uh, and selling them in a business model which you know we're barely even figuring out. I mean, that's the reality of what is going on. You, you, you know, things are changing so fast. In manufacturing, there's no way that we can presume what we are doing today, the skills we have today, the methodologies we are using, uh, the materials we have in place, or even the products we're, we're you know, putting out there are going to be anything like what they're going to be tomorrow. I mean, that's, you know, and I, and I use that quote a lot. And, you know, a lot of folks in the room are shaking their heads in agreeing because I think everybody's seen the, the very fast-paced trends which are sweeping this sector. So where do you look to pick up on these types of trends of where everything is heading if it's based essentially in the in the unknown today well you, you look at you know trends which are evolving today take 3d printing i mean it's something that seemed like you know crazy science fiction like stuff 10 years ago um today it's you know becoming quite mainstream i i was with a uh, manufacturing organization in st louis and it's it's one of three primary pillars which they are aggressively focused on uh, because they believe that the ability to, you know, do 3D um, additive manufacturing uh, will fundamentally change in how they can do it. You know, it's it's what, what's happening with 3D printing is is the pace of development of what is occurring with it is is moving from fast to furious, and also the time to print something using 3D um, methodologies is collapsing. I, mean, I talk about one methodology, you know, 10 years ago that might used to take uh, 11 and a half hours to 3D print apart might now take six and a half minutes. So there's a lot of trends out there. There's a lot going on. And it's about, you know, looking to and understanding those trends that you can manage to figure out where we're going to be in the future. 
Who are the leaders in this? Are we talking about the small entrepreneurs or major manufacturing companies that already exist that are uh, developing the new techniques and the new products of the future? Or is it all of the above type of scenario? Well, it's, it's, it's all of the above. I, you know, I think one of the most exciting things going on with, with manufacturing or really any sector is, you know, what's happening with uh, the crowdsourcing phenomena or the tinkering economy. I mean, look, you know, I'm going out to my golf course later uh, today and, you know, I'll, I'll probably, I might end up going out with a fellow I went out with last year who showed up the first tee and we got up to the first green and he's got a custom printed 3D golf wedge. <laughs> uh, he's a tinkerer. He's an engineer. He designed the thing on his own. He sends it out to a contract 3d printer manufacturer. Uh, you know, he, he used a prototype last year, didn't work threw it in the, you know, pond at the end of the round and came back the next week with a, a different prototype. I mean, we have this massive ecosystem out there in which, you know, for the very first time, we're really separating the manufacturing of a part from, uh, its development and design. So, you know, a lot going on with things like Kickstarter and, you know, the, the crowdfunding initiatives, but it's also with big organizations. I mean, every single car company, every single major manufacturer has devoted resources to 3D printing or Internet of Things or Factory of the Future or, you know, new materials, you know, because, I mean, they, you know, look, they realize what we did in 1950 certainly isn't going to work in the year 2020. So a lot of science fiction uh, from the past and in the present uh is very much in the realm of a futurist and predicting things in the future. Well, what are you seeing that's on the horizon that we haven't thought about yet uh, that sounds science fiction-y to a lot of people, but maybe uh, very common? Like, for example, uh, you talk a lot about in some of your blog posts, self-driving cars. Uh, just 10, 15 years ago, that was the realm of science fiction. And today, uh, it's in the news rather frequently as the technology continues to develop in advance. So what are you seeing that's really piquing your interest right now? Oh, well, when it comes to manufacturing, the, the emergence of new materials, there's a tremendous amount of science um, that is resulting in discovery of new science. And look, I, you know, I understand there's some people out there that you know, sort of think that science is fake news. I kind of think science is real. And I was talking at a manufacturing conference a couple of weeks ago about the fact that there's some people that believe we might be able to, to soon build a jet um, that is as lightweight and as see-through as what we saw in the Wonder Woman television show. Uh, you know, something called boron nitron nanotubes. It's, it's a, a new type of material. It's extremely lightweight, extremely strong. Uh, it's very science fiction-like. But look, when you talk to people, you know, are looking at materials like that, you know, what seems like a crazy idea could very, you know, suddenly become real. And, the, you know, that's what happened with self-driving cars. I mean, I was talking about it 10 or 15 years ago, and a lot of people thought, well, you know, cars are never going to drive themselves. But if you think about what is happening, the car is becoming a computer. It, you, know, you know, connectivity is the new horsepower. It's not the engine anymore. It's the, it's the chips. It's the connectivity. It's the internal, uh, you know, dashboard. It's the intelligence by which a car could drive itself. And as a car becomes a computer, what happens is the car begins to evolve at the speed of the technology and computer industry. You know, look at your iPhone of today. I mean, it's got more, you know, computing power than, you know, a typical supercomputer of the year, you know, 1995. And that's going to happen to a car. I mean, a car 10 years from now is going to be barely recognizable in terms of its shape. Once we get rid of a carbon engine, everything changes. Uh, once we use m new materials, um, it's not going to have necessarily the long hood of like today. Uh, it's going to have a lot of computer technology. It'll figure out, you know, how to drive itself around. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to conferences about zombie cars, you know, cities that have parking problems. 
um, you know, where people have to pay to park their cars at night, that's going to become an interesting issue because people will just tell their cars to go and drive around all night overnight. You know, we're going to have new traffic jams at 2 a.m. You know, I talk about stuff like this and people laugh and they think, you know, what a whack job. This guy's crazy. But, <laughs> you know, look, uh, 10 years later, they kind of go, wow, you know, like that guy kind of nailed it. And inside the home, aren't a lot of our everyday tools also becoming computers? Uh, look at smart refrigerators now or smart homes. You know, your refrigerator can tell you you're out of milk and that you need to buy some on your way home from the store that evening. And any number of appliances now are connected to the Internet of Things and becoming more interactive. Yeah, and I mean, I'll often stay on stage that, you know, that trend could get a little weird. You know, I joke that, you know, maybe one morning I'll get up on my way scale and it's going to send an email to my fridge and, you know, don't let Jim in today. And then, you know, it's <laughs> going to contact my insurance company and cut off my, you know, benefit coverage. But, you know, that's all part of this world of, you know, what we might call hyper-connectivity. People are hearing this in, you know, the context of the phrase, the Internet of Things. And there's two big implications um, you know, one for manufacturers, you know, they're, they're discovering they're having to engineer a lot of computer technology and connectivity into the products they bring out. So that's not a skill they necessarily have. So it's not just we're using new materials and methodologies to build things. We're having to engineer new connectivity and intelligence into our products. And that takes them to a new and different challenge. But the second thing is, you know, people don't really see the big opportunity that comes from this connectivity. So I spoke at a healthcare conference two weeks ago in Michigan. And I was explaining, you know, if you think about what is happening, we're, we're developing all these blood pressure cuffs and glucose, you know, testing devices and medical devices that we can link into the internet. What happens from this is that we can make hospitals go virtual. A hospital is no longer defined by, you know, the four walls of its building, but by the reach of its medical devices. And you know, we might have senior citizens who will be able to live in their homes longer if they're not in a critical care condition. And, you know, rather than going into a doctor's office for a checkup, they simply plug in every morning. And, you know, the doctor sees their blood pressure, sees their glucose, sees their blood sugar, sees their vitals. Uh, and, you know, that helps us solve one of the biggest problems we have in America today. And that is the fact that we're probably not going to be able to build as many senior citizens care facilities as we need, you know, for all the baby boomers. So, Let's architect a world in which people spend more time at home. I mean, that's the type of thought pathway that I take a simple trend and turn it into sort of a bigger opportunity and bigger issue. And healthcare is fascinating, especially in Mississippi. Uh, we lead the nation in uh, some rather unfortunate statistics, including diabetes, uh, also hypertension and uh, some other maladies. However, we're also leading uh, – in telemedicine and trying to reach underserved communities. Are you seeing this as a growth sector? Uh, Mississippi has embraced it a few years ago, and uh, some of our rural areas, especially up in the Delta region and around the state, uh, are now finding that you know people can have that doctor's visit right from their home as long as they have internet connectivity. Oh, it's huge. You know, not having to spend you know two or three or four hours to. Uh, you know, spend the time to get into a doctor's office, to wait in line, to, you know, go through that inevitable wait, you know, and to, you know, simply for a five minute consultation. I mean, there are doctors and healthcare organizations who are sitting back and say, you know, let's make it go virtual. Let's do a Skype consultation. Why the heck not? Uh, you know, let's do a Skype consultation and have the ability for the patient um, to, to, you know, upload their blood pressure via uh, the internet. I mean, look, you know, I'm 59. I, I got a little bit overweight and I developed a little bit of hypertension every morning. You know, I go through a routine. I do my bl blood pressure. 
with my cuff. Um, you know, this morning I was 110 over 70. Awesome, you know, numbers. Uh, you know, and then I get on my weight scale, takes my weight, takes my BMI, takes my fat mass. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to go out and walk the golf course today because I, I might have overdid it a little on the weekend. I mean, if we, you know, it, it becomes a tool by which we can get more involved and better engaged with our health and develop a different relationship with our medical care professional. So it's not only telemedicine, you know, the ability for that sort of Skype consultation, but it's the fact we can become more involved in understanding our health and understanding what it means and what we need to do uh, to ensure we're on the right path. Robotics uh, playing an important role uh, in both manufacturing and other sectors now and you know, often the headlines are uh, robotics are going to be taking away jobs. Yeah, and I, I know where you're going with this. And this one gets me going a little because I think it's sort of the media hysteria hype of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my blog, I have a post I did about two years ago when this sort of started up. And I went out and I dug out a bunch of magazines from the 1930s. Popular Mechanics Magazine, Popular Science Magazine, 1932 they were printing articles that, as they phrased it, giant robot brains are going to take away our jobs. <laughs> um, you know, and and you know, I think any new technology comes along. People like to to hype the hysteria. They like to, um, you know, get a little carried away in terms of the downside. And what people don't do is they don't focus on the upside. Look, there's a lot of new jobs and a lot of new opportunities which um, are emerging. I, you know, I, I go out and I talk about in the agricultural sector. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of automation that is coming about. Um, but what people aren't talking about is the fact that a a very real trend is we're figuring out how do we grow products in urban centers, inside cities, in towers. It's something we call vertical farming. It's a very real trend. And there's the emergence of a new career of people that we call vertical farming infrastructure managers in the world of healthcare, um, robotic thera- therapeutical pharmacy managers. You know, that's a trend that is emerging. Yeah, we're going to have, you know, a lot of medical device connectivity in healthcare, but we're going to have the emergence of new jobs of people who are monitoring, um, you know, how well that stuff is working. So what people are doing is, you know, I think they're putting sort of hype and hysteria around the issue of robots taking away our jobs. What they're not doing is they're not talking about the new jobs that are emerging. And I think the secondary thing, and this is kind of sad, is we're not doing enough to reskill our workforce. You know, and this sort of goes to, I think, a little bit of the heart of the situation in the U.S. today. I mean, there's a lot of folks who think that, you know, look, we can pass some laws and put up some walls and go back to the world of manufacturing it was in the 1950s and bring jobs back. It's not going to happen. You know, the new jobs, there's no shortage of jobs in manufacturing. They're all very highly skilled. They involve advanced skills. They, they, I was with one manufacturing company and they said, you know, it's almost as if the people running our machines today need to be able to do trigonometry in their heads. So what we aren't doing is we aren't doing enough to reskill, retrain um, our workforce they, so that they can do these new jobs, which are emerging. And I find that kind of sad and I find that kind of tragic because you do have a group of people who think that we can make wave magic wand go back to 1950 and, you know, the Flintstones and all is going to be good. Ain't going to happen. Well, you've teed me up uh, and what a great segue into what I wanted to address next, and that is workforce. You know, it's really the hottest topic today in the economic development community. About, you know, five to ten years ago, a company, you'd be recruiting a company, and one of the first things they would ask is, what type of incentive package do you have for us? Today, it's, do you have the workforce that can do the job that we need done, regardless, really, of the industry? 
you know, today we partner with our community colleges. Uh, we understand that a four-year degree is not always necessary. We work with our corporate partners to customize training programs and focusing uh, on in-demand skills like coding. But is that an outdated model now? Do we need to be thinking bigger, earlier, faster? Uh, how does this model need to change in order to keep up with things you know, like a workforce that is not qualified? I, I don't think you need to change the model. I think you hit the nail on the head. You need to do it faster. I've always liked community colleges because they're sort of the mindset that, you know, well, what are the skills we need, you know, a month from now? Cool. Let's develop a course to, you know, make sure we can get the corporate sector that. Um, it's the fact that trends are coming at us so fast, so quickly that, you know, we've got to speed up the pace of, you know, identifying those skills and training those skills and getting those into the workforce. But I think there's also a lot of innovation that we can do with the corporate sector as well. I mean, I, you know, I was with this company in St. Louis, they manufacture what are called rail bones. That's the undercarriage of rail cars. And, you know, I did a tour of their, their factory and they had what, you know, I've come to call it, um, the Xbox, uh, an Xbox room. And they basically had, you know, a room full of all the latest cool technology, whether it's 3D printing or Internet of Things or various other things, and four 25-year-old engineers. And their attitude was sort of, well, we don't know what this stuff means, but we know it's important, so you go figure it out uh, and do it fast. And, I, you know, I think that's that's a viable model. I think that, you know, we're sort of in this world in manufacturing of what I call rapid prototyping. It used to be we would design a product, we'd commit to the product, and that's what we would bring out. Well, it, we're now in this new world. Let's design it. Let's try it. See if it works. If it fails, let's redesign it. Let's redo it. And let's fundamentally change what it is six months from now. So it's not just skills, but it's, you know, challenging ourselves in terms of understanding what don't we know and how can we get that knowledge quickly. And I'm seeing a lot of that in the corporate space as well. What are some of those skills? Here in Mississippi, we've established what are called the coding academies. Uh, we're taking students, non-traditional. They may have uh, just a high school certificate or diploma, uh, not a four-year degree, though there are some students in the coding academies that do have four-year degrees. But it's an 11-month intensive uh, free to them. All tuition is paid through grants to learn coding skills. What other skills are needed beyond just uh, basic coding skills? This, this concept of rapid prototyping um, is very, very important. And so much so that I think it's becoming recognized as, as you know, a very unique career path. Uh, you know, I, I spoke in Sao Paulo, Brazil a couple of years ago at a global event called World Skills. And this is an initiative where, you know, companies like DeWalt and, and others are encouraging people to get involved in skilled trades like plumbing, electrical and various things like that, but also, you know, new skills, new jobs. And, you know, one of the, one of the areas they were focused on is this idea of rapid prototyping. And that is how, do, how can we use computer technology to quickly design a product, test that product in, in real physical form by utilizing 3D technology and go back and redesign it. And then how can we line ourselves up with a contract manufacturer uh, you know, somewhere else in the U.S. or somewhere else in the world to actually, you know, build and print the darn thing. It, it's sort of turning the whole concept of what manufacturing is on its head. And I think there's a whole new career path there. The whole process of, of integrating intelligence into a product, uh, you know, the, with the Internet of Things, that's a whole new career pathway. And then there's, the, you know, I mean, there's just so many jobs. I mean, one of my sons, he's 24. He is what I call a location intelligence professional. He's mastered at a university and community college level, the whole world of digital mapping. And if you use a phone, you use the web, you understand mapping is critical to everything. 
And it's important to self-driving cars. It's important to next wave logistics. It's important to warehousing. It's important to healthcare. You know, even digital mapping is a huge, massive opportunity. And, uh, you know, I think that's where folks need to focus is not where, you know, where the great jobs in 1950, 1970, but what fascinating, you know, high paying, what high skilled jobs are emerging right now and might emerge in the future. You address in your blog post 20 big rules for economic development in the era of acceleration, this issue with number 11, it was think skills. And yes. often we just think degree. I'm going for a degree. I'm not necessarily really thinking skills. Where does the divide lie there? I still think it's important that, you know, somebody gets some type of foundational knowledge, whether community college or university degree, but it doesn't end there. I mean, I use phrases such as learning is what most adults will do for a living in the 21st century. Uh, we've got to develop the ability for what I call just-in-time knowledge, and that's getting the right knowledge at the right time for the right purpose. I you know, look, there's so much change going on, so much new stuff coming at us on a continuous basis. We can never stop learning. Um, and if you get into that mindset, you know, that's that's an important first step. I think the second thing is to realize that, you know, there's always huge opportunities to go back to school, go back to community college, whatever, and get a new degree, get some new capabilities. You know, take a, you know, six-month course to upgrade yourself. You're never done learning uh, in the context of all this fast-paced stuff. And we're seeing a lot of public and private partnerships that are doing just that, trying to work with corporations, uh, getting buy-in from their end as well, and uh, some equity from them to retrain a lot of their workforce, uh, either with robotics or new skills, coding, uh, whatever is needed. I know that it's occurring all over the state of Mississippi. I'm assuming that's happening really globally, though, right now. Oh, yeah. I, I, and, and look, I mean, some countries are doing it better than others. I, you know, I think Canada, the United States, I think we're falling behind in that race because, you know, look, we've talked a good game around it and, you know, we've tried to do things, but I don't think we are doing it as, as aggressively as we could be. And I think the current climate is maybe causing some folks to lose sight of just how important that can be because I think we're, you know, starting to think wrongly in my opinion that the solution to some of these things are quite easy put in some tariffs you know restrict access to the world uh you know don't let others bring products into the country and stuff like that and they, you know I, I think that type of thing does a disservice because it holds us back from trying to align ourselves to the opportunities of the future uh which i mean look can never be a good thing you make another point in your blog post uh talking about thinking trends and not fads. And I think this is an important distinction for people to be able to understand the difference. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. Um, you know, a trend, 3D printing is a real trend. Uh, crowdfunding is a real trend. What we call blockchain is a real trend. Bitcoin is a fad. I mean, you know, people would have seen last fall that, you know, look, there were people buying you know, bitcoins for $5,000 and, you know, three months later it's $20,000 and they were rich. And, you know, I mean, that's just a bunch of goofiness. The underlying technology behind things like Bitcoin is very real, very significant. And it's going to play out over the next 10 to 20 years. But in the short term, we see a lot of, you know, fads that go with it. And, and you know, how do you determine the difference between a, you know, a trend and a fad? If it seems too good to be true, it's probably not true. I mean, it, it always comes down to, to to common sense. We discussed previously in a phone call avoiding defeatism, and that can be one of the biggest barriers in moving either yourself forward or a company forward. 
How does defeatism play into the model of successing and embracing these future trends? Yeah, look, every morning I get up and I, I, you know, take some photo from where I've been on stage somewhere and I wrap a little motivational quote around it. And, you know, it goes out my various social networks and, and, you know, hits 50,000, 60,000 people. And, you know, the the one I wrote this morning um, was was this. Your attitude towards the future is like running a race. If you already have the idea of defeat in your mind at the starting line, you aren't going to see much success. You know, I think a lot of, you know, what we're dealing with when it comes to the future is all about mindset. Look, it's terrifying. It's complex. It's scary. Um, There's a quote by Ogden Nash that, you know, progress is great, but it's gone on way too long. And, you know, a lot of people just don't like change. They would prefer that tomorrow be like today. I know that it's not going to be. And in your heart, you know, it's not going to be. So why would you set yourself up with a mindset that you're not going to succeed? Set yourself up with a mindset that, you know, look, okay, there's opportunities out there. They're big, they're complex, they're fast, they're scary, but I'm going to try and figure them out. I'm going to try and figure out how to turn them into opportunity. And, you know, I think this, you know, might be something which, which impacts a lot of folks in Mississippi. And I'll talk about, uh, you know, this, um, you know, with, with my audience that, you know, look, change our mindset. We can accomplish anything if we set our mind to it. Uh, if we set ourselves up for defeat at the start, there's no way we're going to achieve any type of success. And in other words, complacency can be a killer. I mean, look at Kodak. You know, most- oh gosh, uh, Kodak and Blockbuster, and mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes on of failed companies who you know saw the future coming is there in you know very stark terms, and you know didn't didn't adapt to it. Um, the future, you know, another phrase I often wrote: the future is going to happen whether you like it or not. It's your choice as to what you do with it. So real quickly, in the economic development world, what would be the top five takeaways that people could do today to prepare for tomorrow? I'll, I'll give you just three. This is, this is my key phrase on how to align to the future. Think big, start small, scale fast. You, you've got to think really big in terms of the trends that are out there and the scope of the opportunity and what you can accomplish. You know, Don't hold yourself back in terms of the size of your dreams. Uh, start small, you know, think about that, you know, that company with the Xbox room, take on a lot of small scale projects, not necessarily, you know, for some type of massive home run success, but simply to learn about the things that you don't know and then scale fast, you know, focus on acting, doing, and, you know, innovating and putting things in place faster. You know, I use that a lot on stage. I, you know, I'll be in Las Vegas and I got 7,000 people in the room and I'll, I'll, you know, close with that phrase, think big, start small, scale fast. And I can see a whole bunch of folks just nodding their heads and, you know, waving their hands saying, yeah, that's precisely what we need to do. Jim Carroll, thanks for looking into your crystal ball with us on Mississippi Prospects. Thank you for having me. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.